0: Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story is one of murder and revenge, but still manages to sneak in some romance. It's written by Cece Louise, who writes clean novels filled with adventure, romance, and spirit for teens and adults. When she's not writing, she spends her time creating her own adventures with her husband and two kids. And unfortunately, cleaning her house, which she is convinced has been secretly inhabited by mischievous, mess-multiplying pixies. And I'm pretty sure the long-lost cousins of those pixies have taken up residence in my house this summer. It's been rough. Today's story is told from a dual point of view, which means you'll be getting both my brother, Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central, and myself as narrators. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrators, as well as how to enter our giveaway. For now, please enjoy Saving Vengeance by C.C. Louise. Chapter 1. Laurel who is at the door? I asked my sister as I stepped through the back entryway of our cottage. I heard hooves retreating and didn't even stop to hang my cloak. A messenger from the Tover Palace! Aviva, or Avi, as I liked to call her knelt in front of a large metal chest by the hearth. He brought gifts from the king. Her eyes were alight, and her voice was breathy with excitement. Why? My stomach turned with dread as I crossed the room. We don't need anything from him. There's to be a ball, and we're both invited. Avie's cheeks tinged pink. I'm the guest of honor, and look! He sent us gowns and jewelry. Have you ever seen anything like it? She held up a shimmering dress, indeed more exquisite than anything I'd ever owned, and swished the skirt at her feet. I ignored the chest filled with finery and picked up a piece of parchment beside it. A ball? King Abrax is throwing a ball when his brother has died so recently? That's disgraceful. And it's a masquerade ball. I gave a caustic laugh. That's fitting, considering Abrax is a two-faced lying laurel. A.V. chastised me. That's not true. He isn't throwing the ball to be disrespectful. She threw her shoulders back as if reciting lines like a play actor. She'd been apt to do that lately, ever since she'd fallen under Abrax's spell. It only irritated me more. Avi went on. Abrax is throwing the ball to show the other kingdoms Tover is still strong after the unexpected death of King Edmund. Unexpected? I glared at her and tossed the invitation into the open chest. Listen to yourself. You can't possibly believe that. Of course I do. Avy's voice turned dull as she traced a finger over a red masquerade mask. What else could it have been? Murder? Always blunt, I found no reason to mince words over this. No, it couldn't have been. Abrax wouldn't- You never should have told him about the poison. I lowered my voice to a harsh whisper, even though no one was in the cottage but us. All signs of King Edmund's decline point to caroside poisoning, and you know it enough. Avy slammed the trunk's lid shut and stood tall, although I'd long ago surpassed her in height. She licked her lips. I was going to wait until the ball, but I might as well tell you now. She didn't quite meet my eyes. Abrax and I are to be married. In a fortnight. He asked me yesterday, and I accepted. What? I grabbed her shoulder. Wishing I could shake some sense into her. Avi, no. You can't be serious. She nudged my hand off. I am. Why wouldn't I be? She waved an arm. Do you really want to stay in this little cottage for the rest of your life? Picking herbs and berries to survive? When I marry Abrax, I will be a queen. You will have everything. Everything I was never able to give you when our parents died. Her eyes turned resolute. She was taking a stand as the elder sister, something she did only when our circumstances were dire. Like when I was 12 and my shoes had grown too small, so she insisted I take hers until we had enough money to buy more. She'd gone almost the entire winter with nothing but woolen stockings on her feet. I won't let you do this. I kept my voice steady. I wasn't a child anymore, and I felt just as much responsibility toward her as she did toward me. I won't let you promise yourself to him. You can't stop me, Laurel. Aby's voice was firm. I've decided. You may not trust Abrax, but I do. I love him. My breath escaped my lungs as if she had slapped me. If she had yelled at me and told me she was doing it for my sake, maybe I could have reasoned with her. I could have made her see we didn't need a palace and riches. We'd survived this long together and always would. But this? If she believed herself to be in love with the man, I didn't know how I could change her mind. I knew my sister, and I knew how purely and completely she gave her heart. But I didn't know how to make her see she'd given it to someone unworthy. Suddenly, the room seemed too small, too hot, too suffocating. I turned and raced out the back door into the woods. Chapter 2. Laurel I shivered inside my threadbare black cloak. The forest was growing dark, and the springtime evening air was cool. (sighs) I wish you were here. I gazed sadly at the graves I knelt beside. The uneven granite rocks did not answer. They never did, but I had faith my words carried far beyond, to somewhere my parents could hear them. It was my habit when I came here. This was my place to go and think. She'd listen to you. I stood and brushed dirt from my skirt, missing my parents more than ever. I had been so young when they died, I barely remembered them beyond flashes of recollection, happy memories when our family had been complete. Avi had been my only parent for most of my life. I couldn't lose her like this, to a man who didn't truly love her. Was she so desperate to belong to someone that she didn't see it? The rustle of leaves behind me caused me to freeze. Crack, crunch, crunch. Crunch. Twigs snapped under footsteps. Footsteps too heavy to belong to my sister. I whirled around, then snatched a rock from the ground and wielded it. A figure stepped through the leafy branches. When a man came into view, I sucked in a breath. It was a knight. Stay back. I raised my arm higher. Easy now. The knight took a slow step toward me. He lowered his sword, but didn't sheathe it. His armor bore the crest of Tover. He was one of Abrax's knights, which meant he couldn't be trusted. Who are you? he asked. What are you doing out here all alone? Behind his visor, his eyes creased as he studied me. I did the same. Why was this knight dressed in full armor as if prepared for battle? Few people lived so far from the village or on the outskirts of Eternity Forest. Avi and I only did because it made gathering herbs easier. I could ask you the same thing, I said. I suppose you could. The knight cracked a smile, his strong jaw visible because his facial armor ended at his cheeks. What's your name? I licked my lips and lowered the rock, keeping it in my grip. Although I had no real reason to fear this knight, something about him, knowing who he worked for, made me hesitant to divulge my identity. I glanced at the headstones I had knelt by earlier. The crude engravings were too faint to make out in the dim light, but... I knew what they said. Beloved mother, Bridget, and beloved father, Aaron. Bridget, I said without another thought. Bridget, that's it? Any other name go with that? A family name, perhaps? I clenched my fist. This knight was looking for someone. I was sure of it. I didn't trust him one bit. Yes, of course. Since I'd already drawn upon my mother's memory, I continued. Bridget Blackcloak. The cloak around my shoulders was the only thing I had from my mother. Bridget Black Cloak. I can't say I've ever heard of your family. We're new to the area. I tossed my hair behind my shoulders, hoping to find work in the village. The knight sheathed his sword. Is that why you wear a black cloak? So you don't forget your family name? His eyes twinkled behind his visor and he grinned. But still, my heart dropped. He knew I was lying. No, that's a stupid question. I crossed my arms. I wear a cloak for protection from the elements. The knight laughed, sounding thoroughly amused. Now if you don't mind, I said, turning on my heel, I should be going. Then allow me to escort you. The knight swished his cloak behind his shoulders and fell into step beside me. You can introduce me to the rest of your family. That won't be necessary. Besides, I glanced at him. You look as if you have an important task to attend to. He frowned, although his tone remained easy. My task is to survey this area, and I can do that just as well walking with you. Why? Are you searching for someone? I held my breath, awaiting his answer. Would he lie to me as I had lied to him? I didn't know why King Abrax sent this knight to lurk in the forest so close to our cottage, but I didn't like it. That's quite an impertinent question, Miss Blackcloak. Wouldn't you at least like to ask me my name first? No. My word was dull, every bit the truth. I didn't care to know anything about this man other than why he was here. No? Why not? You're a Tover knight. I know enough about you from that. Oh? He tilted his head. Why do you say that? You work for King Abrax, don't you? The man is a fiend. The first thing he did when he became king was impose outrageous taxes on his people. I didn't even try to hide the judgment in my tone. Then he sent his knights to arrest and imprison those who couldn't pay it. One's duty is not always easy to fulfill. The knight's voice turned quiet, making me wonder if he was trying to convince himself or me. When I became a knight and pledged my service to Tover, I did so under King Edmund's rule. He was a benevolent king. But you're right when you say his brother may be... different. Different, I gave a scornful laugh. I think what you mean to say is despicable. In fact, my next insult died upon my lips. The scent of smoke in the air turned my eyes upward, where a dark cloud billowed above the trees, right where my cottage was. Our cottage. Avy, All other thoughts forgotten. I lifted my skirts and ran.
1: Chapter 3. Gavin Stop! I grabbed Bridget as I peered at a cottage ablaze through the trees. You need to stay back. My pulse quickened. This investigative mission for me and my fellow knights had clearly turned into something more, something worse. I can't! Bridget fought against my grip with surprising strength for her willowy frame. My home is on fire! My sister is in there! Your sister? My heart dropped. Are you sure? Avi, she shrieked. I clamped my gloved hand over her mouth, dragging her backward through the trees, far enough so the flames weren't visible. She fought me and dug her heels into the ground the entire time. That's your cottage? I asked her again once we were a safe distance away. Yours and your sister's? Yes! Now let me go! I have to help her! Listen to me. I gripped her shoulders. You can't go anywhere near there. They will kill you. What? Why? I don't know. This wasn't supposed to happen. I didn't understand it, and I voiced my confusion. We were ordered to investigate. King Abrax believed two witches lived here, but we were only supposed to arrest them if there was evidence of dark magic. Is your sister a witch? No, she's a healer. She works with herbs and remedies, not spells. She tried to push past me. Now get out of my way! Stop, if they're burning your cottage. I swallowed thickly. Abrax must want you dead. Both of you. Bridget froze as if I'd struck her. Of course. Her voice was hoarse. I knew it. I knew it. It was all lies. He was playing her this entire time. She stopped fighting me. Instead, she paced and tugged at her cloak while her voice grew angrier. He used her to learn how to kill King Edmund and get away with it, and now he wants to destroy the evidence. What are you talking about? I couldn't follow her vehement rambling. What evidence? Avi, my sister, she's the evidence. She's the one who knows what he did, even if she's too blind to admit it. I need to help her. I need to stop him. She barreled forward, crashing through the trees, and I raced after her. I grabbed her arm, but before she could fight me again, a piercing shriek rang out. Let me go! A struggling woman was led out of the cottage by two of my fellow knights. She clawed and squirmed, but she was no match against the knight's iron grips. Abrax's head knight, Kartoff strode forward, his silver armor illuminated against the flames licking the cottage behind him. He drew his sword and grinned wickedly. I'm so sorry, Aviva. King's orders. He plunged his sword into her abdomen. Again, my gloved hand stifled Bridget's screams while I mentally silenced my own although we likely wouldn't have been heard over the crackling fire and the other knight's shocked shouts. Aviva fell to the ground and lay still, except for the blood seeping from her wound. Kartoff stepped back and wiped his sword, his expression unnervingly calm. "'Malone,' Kartoff commanded a knight, "'take care of the body. The rest of you find the other one.' That sprung me into action— Bridget had gone limp in my arms no doubt unable to hold herself up after what we had witnessed i dragged her away from the horrible scene through the thickest patch of trees and didn't stop until i was satisfied i'd put enough distance between us and the searching knights even so i hid us behind the trunk of a large oak tree tears streamed down bridget's face but i forced her to look at me listen to me i said you need to go now. There's still time for you to get away. A- Avi, she gasped, her knees buckling. I can't no, Avi No You have to. I stood her up, willing her to be strong, willing her to fight. If what you said about Abrax is true, then you know too much. He wants you dead. Run and hide far away from here. I'll make sure Abrax never finds out. I'll make sure he thinks you're dead. Do it for your sister. That seemed to get through to her. With shaky hands, she wiped her tear-streaked face and turned from me as if in a daze. Wait! I caught her arm. Give me your cloak. She obeyed, unclasping it and then tossing it on the ground. I handed her mine, as well as my personal dagger. Now go! She disappeared through the trees, and I picked up her thin cloak. I removed the gauntlet on my left arm, followed by my leather glove. Gritting my teeth, I sliced into my forearm with my hunting knife and smeared my blood onto Bridget's black cloak. Once satisfied, I tore a strip from the ragged bottom and used it to wrap my wound. I grimaced against the sting as I replaced my glove and gauntlet. I stared at the tattered cloak hoping it would be enough. This blood-stained garment was all I had to convince Kartoff I had found and killed poor Avi's sister. Chapter 4. Gavin My head was fuzzy and my footsteps were leaden as I trudged toward the black-cloak cottage. The scent of smoke led me easily, although it turned my stomach. With each slow step, my worry grew. What if Kartoff didn't believe me? What if he demanded to see Bridget's body himself? What if I hadn't given her enough time to escape? What if he found her and killed her? Repetitive thumps through the trees interrupted my racing thoughts. I veered from my path and pushed past branches to find one of my fellow knights, Malone, digging a hole in a clearing. Malone must have heard me approach because he whipped around, then leaned on his shovel and wiped his sweating brow. Gavin. Malone's eyes were pained, and anger burned behind them. He was a good knight, and one of my friends. I knew he must have been as horrified as I was by the turn of events this evening. What happened? I strode toward him, then paused when I noticed what lay behind him. A still form with Malone's cloak draped over it like a shroud. Avi's body. Although her face was covered, I knew it was her by the bloodstain in the middle. I swallowed and forced my gaze to meet Malone's. What did you find at the cottage? Nothing. Malone slammed the shovel's point into the earth, sending dirt flying. We searched the cottage, and there was nothing suspicious. Kartoff ordered us all outside, and the next thing I knew, he set the place ablaze. He shook his head. This was a setup. And that girl... His voice broke as he glanced at the still body behind him. I know. I placed a hand on Malone's shoulder while he hung his head. I saw it. She was innocent, Gavin. A few tears leaked from the man's eyes. I know. I said again, as I grabbed the shovel and deepened the hole Malone had started. I made sure to smear my boots and armor with dirt as I hefted it from the ground. And the other one? Malone's voice held the tiniest hint of hope. I hated being the one to crush it, but I couldn't risk his well-being or Bridget's by sharing my secret. She's dead, too. My words were flat. I didn't dare offer him any more information— He'd learn of my self proclaimed involvement soon enough. Malone drew in a sharp breath. I can't do this. I can't serve such a wicked king. When we return to the castle, I'll end my service. Don't do anything hasty, Malone. I shot him a warning glance. Think of your wife. Abrax isn't the type of man to release a knight from his duty. I'll find a way. Twenty years I've served Tover!' Malone shook his head. "'I never thought my service would end like this. "'Be careful, my friend.' The hole was deep enough now, so I handed the shovel back to him. As much as I wanted to help him give Avi a proper burial, I couldn't delay any longer. I traipsed through the trees and arrived at the cottage where Kartoff interrogated the remaining knights. "'Well, any sign of her?' The knights murmured and shook their heads. I knew most of them must have felt like Malone and I did. They weren't eager to find and kill an innocent woman. She's dead, I called out as I strode toward Kartoff. Kartoff spun to face me, and I unfurled Bridget's bloody cloak, waving it like a prize. Malone filled me in on the orders. I tossed the cloak at Kartoff's feet. I found the other witch and sliced her through before she could hex me. Well done, Kartoff eyed me, and it took all my strength not to cringe or pull my sword and show him the same mercy he'd shown Brigid's sister. It was an honor, Sir Kartoff, I gave a stoic nod. I'm relieved Tover is safe from their dark magic. Kartoff grunted, while the other knights, knights who knew me, murmured in anger and confusion. I prayed they wouldn't give me away. Kartoff hadn't been one of King Edmund's knights. He had come to Tover with Abrax, and after King Edmund's death, Abrax made him his head knight. I hoped Kartoff hadn't paid enough attention to my true nature to know how out of character my words were. "'Take me to the body,' Kartoff snatched the cloak from the ground and examined it. I already buried it. I brushed the dirt from my hands with broad strokes. Kartoff shoved the cloak against my chest, then take me to the grave. Very well, I offered another obedient nod while internally cursing myself for not digging a fake grave. Follow me, I waved my arm and headed back into the forest. Kartoff followed with a lantern. I walked slowly as I weighed my options. Malone should have been finished burying Avi by now. That was the only grave I had to show Kartoff. When we reached the spot I had last left Malone, much to my relief, he was not there. The shovel he had used lay beside the giant mound of dirt. I gestured toward it. We put the witches in the same grave. Let them rot together, I say. Kartoff snatched the shovel and thrust it into my hands. Show me. I raised my brow. You want to disturb the final resting place of two witches? Surely you've heard stories about what becomes of men who do that. Neither of us will be safe from their wrath. The resounding hoot of an owl startled us both. When Kartoff's eyes found mine again, the suspicion that had been there earlier was replaced with fear. Fine, Kartoff's gaze flickered to the treetops. We're due back at the castle to report to King Abrax anyway. He hustled through the branches, leaves shaking in his wake. I followed with the shovel in hand and cast one last glance at Avi's grave, saying a silent prayer she would rest in peace.
0: Chapter 5 Laurel. I stared at the fresh mound of dirt as my heart broke all over again in the early morning light. I shouldn't have come back here. It was foolish, but when I'd awoken after hiding in the forest all night, only one thought had driven me toward my home. I had to see it for myself. Part of me hoped desperately it was all a terrible dream, that there was another explanation for the night's cloak I wore around my shoulders. But no, here was the proof. My only consolation was, by some strange coincidence, Avie had been laid to rest mere feet from my parents' graves. Perhaps simply because this spot was the first clearing beyond our cottage. Whatever the reason, I found some comfort Avi did not lie here alone. I imagined her spirit reunited with our parents, and a sad smile found its way to my lips as I wept for my only sister. My heart ached to see her again, and I wished Kartoff would find me too so I could join her. Although I had been spared, how cruel it felt to be the only one in my family that death had left behind. But there were no signs of any nights. The knight who had saved me must have convinced Kartoff I was dead, too. When I finally dried my tears and placed fresh honeysuckle, Avi's favorite flower, on all three graves, I left the clearing and headed for our cottage. I wouldn't stay long, I couldn't, but maybe some things had been spared from the fire that I could use on my journey. At the very least, I could pick some vegetables from our nearby garden, as long as that hadn't gone up in flames, too. The wreckage of my former home was another blow. The stone and wood structure had crumbled, and the air smelled heavy with smoke. I searched the debris and ashes, but few things had survived. I moved some crushed stone, and underneath lay the metal chest Abrax had sent. The rage that ignited in my heart was preferable to my sorrow. I wasn't surprised this one item remained. Its metal frame was warped from the heat but it was much less susceptible to fire than our wooden chests. But still, it seemed like a mockery. This was the only thing the fire hadn't taken. Abrax's final twisted lie. All this chest had been was a distraction. A way to keep Avi ignorant so he could send his knights to murder her, and she'd never see it coming. He gifted my sister beautiful gowns and trinkets as a promise of love and better things to come, when really... He was plotting to end her life that very night. He truly was despicable. As I pawed through the wretched chest, plucking items I could sell, a plan formed in my mind. A dangerous plan that curled deliciously and reared its head like a beautiful, ferocious beast. Why not use these things one final time? Why not go to the masquerade ball? If I went to the ball in disguise, I could catch Abrax off guard. I'd only met him a few brief times when he'd visited Avi, and now, he thought me to be dead. He wouldn't expect to see me there, or ever again. With half of my face hidden behind a mask, I could dance with him and plunge the dagger the knight had given me into his chest. I could end him for good. The thought fueled me the way nothing had before. It was a foolhardy plan, one I would likely pay for with my life. But I didn't care. I didn't care if I wound up in a dungeon or dead. All I cared about was avenging my sister's murder. Chapter 6. Laurel Several evenings later, I stepped inside the Tover Palace ballroom with a crimson mask upon my face and a hunger in my heart. The glass beads stitched on my flowing red gown shimmered as I moved. I had chosen the simpler of the two dresses, for the grander one had likely been intended for Avi. It may have been risky for me to be in this ballroom in that dress, but I suspected Abrax hadn't even picked the gowns himself. Despite what Avi had believed, Abrax never loved her. He'd probably delegated the task of choosing the dresses to a servant. The crowded ballroom stifled me, so I unclasped the black fur-lined cloak the knight had given me. After hanging it on a hook on the wall, I caught my reflection in a gilded mirror. My blonde hair stood out dramatically against my red dress in a coronet braid that trailed down my back, and my amber eyes glittered just as brilliantly as the jewels on my mask. From behind that mask, I surveyed the scene. Couples chattered and laughed as they whirled around the dance floor. Gowns and masks of every color flashed in the candlelight, making me dizzy. As a commoner, I'd never attended an event like this before. I'd never even been to the castle. What once would have awed my mind and senses, now only sickened me. Did the people here know what manner of king they were celebrating? Were they so drunk on wine, stuffed with rich food and dazzled by finery, that they couldn't see the truth? Or were these guests of Abrax as wicked as he? What secrets lay behind their glittering facades? I shook the thought from my mind as I weaved through the crowd. I'd come here with one purpose tonight, and it wasn't to speculate about the other guests. I'd come to kill King Abrax. I scanned the ballroom, searching for Abrax. He shouldn't be too hard to spot, even with a mask upon his face. I simply searched for the most self-important, evil smile I could find. At the end of the room, I caught a glimpse of Abrax's niece, Princess Rosalind of Tover. She sat on a throne surrounded by a circle of knights, and although arrayed in a beautiful purple gown and matching mask, she made no move to join the dancers. In fact, she looked miserable. I felt a twinge of pity. What was it like for her to be in this room of celebration so soon after her father's death? How irreverent it must seem to her. A terrible thought crept into my mind. Did she know the role Avie had played in King Edmund's death? Although unintentional, Avie had allowed herself to be manipulated by Abrax and had given him the key to killing the former king of Tover. Would the princess have reveled in Avi's death and seen it as justice for her carelessness? But what about her father's carelessness in allowing Abrax into their lives? How had no one in the palace realized what he was capable of? The thought refueled my rage and doused my pity. This princess's family and its political power struggle had cost me my only sister. Where was Abrax? I had expected to see him lounging on a throne or parading around the ballroom. Basking in his newfound power and glory. As I paused beside a long, golden clothed table piled high with sumptuous meats, cheeses, and cakes, I realized the masks made my task more difficult than I had thought. What's the matter, my dear? From behind, a low voice sounded in my ear, sending a chill through me. Have you lost your dance partner? I turned and faced the very man I'd been seeking. A deep purple mask, so dark it was almost black, covered half of King Abrax's face. But his pompous voice and sly eyes were unmistakable. I held my breath as my heart pounded, fearing Abrax would recognize me as his gaze raked over my face and body, a slow smile spreading across his lips. But no recollection, anger, or concern crossed his predatory features. Oh, no! I kept my voice light and breathy in hopes of further shielding my identity. I'm not dancing. That is a shame. Abrax frowned as if the matter was of utmost concern. A beautiful young lady such as yourself shouldn't be made to stand and watch. I'm certain you came here to dance tonight, did you not? Why, yes. I gazed up from under my lashes and held my breath. We can't have you disappointed then. Can we? He held out his hand, a clear invitation. I hoped he couldn't hear my heart hammering in my chest as I placed my hand in his and allowed him to lead me onto the dance floor. His cold hand made my skin crawl, but I forced myself not to pull away. I had to tolerate his touch if I wanted my plan to succeed. The dagger strapped to my leg under my skirt practically burned against my skin, as if begging me to use it but I had to be patient. I had to wait for the right moment and catch Abrax by surprise. We danced a lively reel, and I cursed my luck that the quick steps and reoccurring partner changes didn't allow me to make my move. Your eyes, Abrax said as we placed our palms together and circled each other. They're hypnotic and, dare I say, familiar. Have we met before? I giggled, something I had certainly never done in this man's presence. Your Majesty, you know it's against the rules of the masquerade for me to reveal my identity before the mask removal this evening. You will have to wait until then. So we have met. He seemed quite pleased with himself. Very well. I will try to contain my curiosity. But I look forward to learning who you are and... He spun me dramatically, then pulled me close his fingers grazing my back, getting to know you more intimately. I forced another giggle, which made my throat burn. All I wanted was to pull out my hidden dagger and stab him in the heart, then yank my mask off for him to look upon my face as he died. But the dance called for another partner change, and I was handed into the arms of a tall man wearing an emerald green mask. To my surprise, his piercing eyes glared at me, Before I could ponder this, I was returned to Abrax's side. He dipped me low for the dance's dramatic finale. As the last note died away, we straightened. The entire room applauded, and the music changed to a slow, haunting melody. I turned to Abrax expectantly, but before I could request another dance, his attention was stolen. King Abrax, the man with the green mask stepped between us. May I have a word with you? It's urgent. Excuse me, Abrax said to me and left the dance floor while he and the man engaged in low conversation. I swallowed slowly, my throat tight. Did the man with the green mask recognize me somehow? Was that why his eyes had been so disapproving? Was he revealing me to Abrax? Would I be imprisoned or killed before I even had a chance to carry out my task? I turned toward the dancers, preparing to run, when Abrax caught my arm. Please excuse me for a moment, he said. There is a matter I must attend to. He strode through the crowd and out of sight. I released a shaky breath, although my heart sank. I had been so close. I reached for my cloak, ready to follow Abrax, but a hand on my shoulder stopped me. Whirling around, I faced the man who had interrupted us. Dance with me? He held out a hand his black coat trimmed in green velvet accentuating his broad shoulders. Although shadowed by his mask, his eyes were still accusing. I'm sorry. I turned away, now more annoyed than alarmed. I don't wish to dance at the moment. I'm afraid I must insist. The man grabbed my hand and placed his other arm around my waist, then whisked me to the center of the ballroom. I was about to push him away when his voice sounded low and firm in my ear. You shouldn't have come here, Bridget. I pulled back and surveyed the man anew. Instantly, I knew who he was. The knight who saved me in the forest. Yes, his strong jawline was the same, although I was surprised he wasn't dressed as a knight, but as a guest of the ball. His face was still a mystery behind his mask, but unlike when he'd worn his visor, I could now see his sandy blonde hair clipped close to his neck. I had to, I replied, equally as quiet. The knight spun me, then pulled me to his chest and whispered again, If Abrax discovers you here, he'll kill you. His words didn't frighten me. I already assumed tonight would be the night I'd die. I just had to make sure Abrax did as well. For me to murder the king in such a public setting would mean my immediate arrest and punishment. Instead of answering the knight, I asked, How did you know it was me? You were wearing my cloak, remember? The knight quirked the same half-smile he had in the forest, and I couldn't help but think that, under different circumstances, he might be quite charming. And let me guess. His hand at my waist slid to the small of my back while he dipped me. Then he leaned down and murmured in my ear, You brought my dagger, too. He drew me upright, elegantly and effortlessly. My breath caught in my throat as the momentum tilted my chin so his lips hovered above mine. I quickly turned my head and whispered, "'If that's what concerns you, fear not. You may have them back after tonight. I will have no more use for them.' The knight made a displeased noise deep in his throat. Then he ushered me from the dance floor and grabbed my cloak off the hook. His grip tightened on my arm as he pulled me out of the castle, down stone steps, and into a dimly lit garden. A multitude of flowers, whose blooms dripped from recent rain, filled the air with a soft fragrance.' I know what you're planning. The knight draped his cloak around my shoulders and placed my back against a nearby tree. He lifted his hands and rested them on either side of me. To a passerby, we would look like lovers conversing intimately. He leaned forward and faced me squarely. And you can't kill him. Not here. Not like this. I lifted my chin. I can. Perhaps I should have denied his accusation, but it seemed pointless. This knight was smart. Lying to him would do me little good. He had helped me once before. Maybe I could convince him to help me again. Abrax needs to be stopped. You're right. The knight glanced over my shoulder and sighed heavily, his warm breath tickling my cheek. A pleasant tingle ran up my spine, which increased when his intense gaze met mine again. But not like this. He has too many loyal knights and guests here. If you kill him tonight, publicly, You won't be able to escape. You'll be executed immediately. I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to exact justice. Justice? Don't you mean vengeance? His eyes narrowed. There's a difference, you know. Not with a snake like Abrax. Is this really what your sister would have wanted? For you to throw your life away for the sake of vengeance? What happened to your sister was terrible, and Abrax should be brought to justice. But doing this... Sacrificing yourself? It won't bring her back. His voice softened and his eyes pleaded with me. If you want revenge, go on and live a beautiful life. Honor your sister's memory that way. Don't let your hatred destroy you. His words and expression caused my emotions to stir. Dangerous ones that tugged at my heart and begged me to reconsider my plan. Deep sorrow and a strange sort of hope I didn't understand. For some reason, this knight seemed to care what happened to me. But why? He barely knew me. When I had lost Avi, I lost the last person who cared about me. Anger replaced my momentary confusion, and my resolve returned. I have to do something. I can't let this stand. I won't— Footsteps slapped upon the stone stairway, causing my argument to die in my throat. The knight looked behind him at the approaching interloper, then muttered something under his breath. His urgent gaze returned to mine as he whispered, Please forgive me for what I'm about to do. I opened my mouth to protest. Sure, he meant to reveal me to whoever was approaching. But before I could say another word, the knight pressed his lips to mine, thoroughly silencing me. His lips were soft, gentle, Although my mind knew he was only kissing me to further our facade of a lovesick couple stealing a few moments together, my racing heart and foolish lips seemed to think it was something else entirely. Returning his kiss was frightfully natural, although I had never been kissed before. Avy had, and ever the romantic, she'd described it as flying hand in hand with someone and knowing they would not let you fall. I had scoffed at her, saying it sounded like complete foolishness. But now, I finally understood what she meant. My hand found the knight's chest, and I grasped the velvet trim of his coat, pulling him closer. He obliged, and at that moment, his kiss changed from a light caress to pure fire. Until a voice startled us both. Hey, you there! What do you think you're doing? We broke apart. The knight's eyes searched mine, ablaze with questions. Then he mouthed one silent word. Please. He stepped back and faced whoever had interrupted us, shielding me. You. The man raised a finger as he approached. You're supposed to be in the ballroom. My apologies, Sir Kartoff, the knight said. This young woman appeared to have swooned and I was assisting her while she got some air. My blood ran cold as I recognized the name and the man who stepped into the light, glaring at us. The man who had killed Avi. Ha! Kartoff gave a vicious laugh. You think because the king selected you as part of his undercover protection, you can dally with the guests? Come now, Kartoff. A new set of footsteps approached, the slow voice turning my blood cold. Let the lad have a bit of fun. The knight's shoulders tensed, just as mine did when King Abrax came into view. After all, Abrax eyed the knight. I'm a benevolent king. I see no reason my loyal knights shouldn't enjoy a diversion or two, even while they work tirelessly to keep me safe. Kartoff grunted as if he disagreed, but he took a step back. You're too kind, your majesty. The green-masked knight bowed low in front of Abrax, allowing me to see past his broad frame. Here he was again, the man I'd come to kill, only mere feet away from me and not in a ballroom surrounded by countless people. I almost couldn't believe my luck. Here was not only the man who had commanded my sister's death, but also the one who had raised his sword to her and accomplished the task. If I was smart and swift, I could end them both. My fingers yearned to pull my dagger and slice their throats. As if sensing my thoughts, the knight's hand found mine and gave it a firm squeeze. Now, my dear, Abrax turned his masked eyes toward me, his tone feigning concern. I don't know what this man told you to get you out here alone, but I should inform you, he is nothing but a lowly knight. I took a deep breath and curtsied. If I played along, this could be my chance. Thank you for warning me, your majesty. I stepped past the knight and glanced behind me with disdain. A prince, indeed. You are a charlatan. The knight swallowed slowly. My apologies, miss. I never meant to deceive you. His stare held mine, urgent, pleading, genuine. But I saw a light in you that drew me in, the way nothing has before. The knight bowed his head in a show of humility and remorse, then met my gaze one more time. Please don't let it die. King Abrax chuckled, clearly enjoying his knight's humiliation, but I barely heard him. My attention was fixed on this knight, this strange, brave knight, who was begging me, one last time, to reconsider what I was about to do. As King of Tover, Abrax's self-important voice flowed through the evening air like oil seeping into the cracks of a wooden table. It is only right I escort you back to the ballroom so we can finish our dance. He held out his arm. I stared at his proffered hand. It hovered like a bridge, promising to close the gap between the woman I was and the one I was so sure I wanted to become. My fingers poised to accept his offer. I could kill him before we even reached the palace threshold. But something stopped me. I thought of the knight who had saved me in the forest, who was trying to save me again, and a terrible realization hit me. This man had told Kartoff he'd killed me. If I followed through with my plan and killed Abrax, my identity would be exposed and I would not be the only one executed tonight. This knight would be killed for his lie as well, especially if it was discovered I used his dagger to kill the king. He had already sacrificed his own well-being to save my life once, and now he was doing it again. Could I really ignore that with no concern for him? Was my need for revenge worth more than this man's life? A soft breeze kicked up around us, carrying the scent of honeysuckle as it swished past my cloak and stirred my heart. I took a deep breath, filling my lungs, and the gentle fragrance cleared my mind. I dropped my hand. That won't be necessary, I said to Abrax as I stepped away from him. I was just leaving. I returned my gaze to the night It appears there is nothing for me here tonight, after all. Very well. If Abrax was affronted by my rejection, his voice didn't show it. Instead, he sounded bored. No doubt he had scores of eager women awaiting his company in the ballroom, and I was proving not worth his effort. Smiling, the knight bowed low to me, then his masked eyes found mine. Then I hope you find happiness elsewhere. I hope so, too. As I returned his smile, my sad heart fluttered with something I could only imagine was the weakest glimmer of hope. And so I turned my back on the kingdom of Tover and started down the garden path toward Eternity Forest.
1: Chapter 7 Gavin I took a deep breath of fresh forest air and my heart swelled with gratitude it was hard to believe it had been a few weeks since I'd deserted from Abrax's service. And I wasn't the only one. After the masquerade ball, things had grown worse in the kingdom of Tover, and knights and villagers were fleeing from Abrax's unjust rule. At first, my new purpose had been unclear. I'd pledged my life to serving Tover, to serving the people there. How could I abandon them? But then I realized I could still help by freeing them from Abrax's ruthless ways. I now had a small group of villagers I was leading to safety through the belly of Eternity Forest. A dangerous journey, for we couldn't take the main roads which were cut off by Abrax's knights. I trudged on, crunching foliage beneath my hunting boots. They matched the crude hunting clothes I wore, which were far more comfortable than my armor had been. I brushed a hand across my new beard and then through my hair, which had grown past my ears. I certainly looked different from the polished knight I once was. But inside, I still had the same goal to serve my people. Now, I was just doing it differently. I climbed a tree, then removed my bow from across my back. Dusk would fall soon, and this was a good hunting spot, in perfect view of some narrow deer trails through the thick forest. Now I waited. A part of hunting I didn't mind, for I appreciated the forest's beauty before sunset. As I admired the cracks of light disappearing between the highest leaves, I noticed something else, the slightest trace of smoke curling above the branches. My shoulders tensed. Smoke meant people, and this fire didn't come from the direction of the camp where I had left my group. I climbed down from the tree and crept toward the smoke, I had to know if that fire was part of a camp of Abrax's knights. As I navigated the woods, the scent of smoke soon guided my way, and before long, I peered between the leaves at a crude campsite. Beside a crackling fire lay a leather bag, and under separate trees, two worn blankets were laid out as makeshift beds. I scanned the area, but spied no one. The site's scantiness eased my worry, for I knew Abrax's knights would have more supplies with them and better sleeping arrangements. Who did this camp belong to? I edged toward the lone bag whose contents might give me a clue about its owner. Just as my hand closed over the leather strap, a deep voice startled me. "'Drop it!' I obeyed, turning slowly. My hands itched to grab for my bow, but I didn't dare make any sudden moves that might earn me an arrow in my chest or a knife between my shoulder blades. Keep your hands where I can see them. A young, dark-haired man materialized from the forest shadows and advanced toward me, wielding a knife. A large yellow bruise colored the side of his face, and his nose was slightly swollen. One arm was bandaged below his tattered sleeve. Whoever this man was— He appeared to be no stranger to a fight. Perhaps I could reason with him. Look, I don't want trouble. Drop your bow, the man commanded. Closer now. If the fierce look behind his eyes was any indication, I was fairly certain he didn't share my sentiment for Amity. Very well. I let my bow slide from my shoulder, followed by my quiver full of arrows. This man would attack with his knife before I could knock an arrow. If it was my bow he wanted... I'd let him have it. Predictably, when he got close enough, he stooped to retrieve my fallen weapon. That was my chance. I lunged at him, throwing one arm around his waist, while the other wrestled for the knife in his grip. The man bellowed, and although I had taken him by surprise, he held fast to his knife. Until we both stumbled, and it flew from his hands and skittered across the forest floor. My hands went for his neck, but his fist was faster, striking my jaw. I howled as I fell back, my head hitting the dirt. The pain jarred me, but I rolled over and pushed to my feet. Now free, the young man didn't waste any more time on me. Instead, he scrambled for his knife, but I reached him again before he could grab it. I sent a fist flying into his cheek and thrust him toward the earth. I pinned the man to the ground, digging my shoulder into his neck to stop his thrashing. A shriek sounded behind us. "'Stop!' a woman cried. "'What are you doing? Stop it!' "'The bow!' the man wheezed beneath me. Yet the bow!' Feet dashed behind me, and I craned my neck to get a view of who my other adversary was. The sight of a familiar fur-lined cloak made me flinch, the same cloak I'd worn as one of Abrax's knights." "'Let him go, or I'll shoot you!' "'The cloak's owner aimed an arrow at me, "'knocked and poised to shoot, "'although she struggled under my bow's great tension. "'It was Brigid Black Cloak. "'I raised my hands, my fear lessening, "'for I knew she wouldn't have anything to do with Abrax's knights. "'I think there's been a misunderstanding,' I said to her. "'I didn't come here for a fight.' "'What did you come here for?' The man I'd been choking only moments ago coughed and grimaced. He'd soon have a few new bruises to match his existing one. To steal from us? His gaze roved the forest floor, no doubt searching for his knife. No, I clenched my teeth. I came to investigate the fire, which I would have told you if you had given me the chance. The man scoffed, then snatched his fallen knife. You attacked me. What is wrong with you? Bridget glared at me. Can't you see he's injured? I rubbed my swollen jaw beneath my beard. He threatened me first. Bridget ignored me. She lowered my bow and said, "Jay, let me see your arm. The bandage has come loose." I followed her gaze. The bandage the man wore around his right arm was now torn open, flapping by his hand, revealing angry red skin tinged with dirt. Bridget made a scolding noise. This will need to be cleaned. Again. Really, Jay, if you ever expect to heal, you need to be more careful. The man named Jay set his jaw as Bridget tended his wound. Then he jerked his chin toward me. Who are you? I'm a hunter, I replied. My name's Gavin. I glanced at Bridget, realizing that despite our few encounters, I'd never told her my name. She continued her work, showing no signs of recognition. Why are you hunting all the way out here? Jay continued to eye me suspiciously. No one lives this deep in Eternity Forest. I don't live here. I left Tover and I'm just passing through. More information than I would have dared to tell a stranger, but the woman beside him was no stranger. At the mention of Tover, Bridget's eyes flashed upward and she assessed me. When our gaze met, she pursed her lips, then looked away. Clearly, she had no idea we'd met before. Not that I could blame her. Both times, my face had been partially covered, and what she had seen of me looked much different now. A beard hid my jaw, and my hair was longer. Plus, being on the run, I had lost a little weight. I'm Jay, the man said. And this is Laurel. We're traveling, too. Jay? Laurel? I nodded my head to each of them, my words pleasant although my mind spun. She hadn't given me her real name. Of course, I'd suspected as much when I met her, but I'd grown used to thinking of her as Brigid Blackcloak. How would she react if I told her who I was? Even though I had helped her, every day guilt gnawed at me that I hadn't been able to do more for her, that I hadn't been able to save her sister. If she learned who I was... Would she hate me? Would I remind her of the most terrible moment of her life? Would she even be able to look at me? I didn't want that. I had begun a new life here in the forest, and I didn't want her to know me as the knight who had served Abrax for longer than I should have. I wanted her to know me for who I truly was, even if I was still discovering that. So, I cleared my throat. Where are you two headed? We aren't sure yet. Jay exchanged a look with Laurel as he slipped his knife into his belt. Due to our circumstances, we've been living in the forest, moving around as much as we can. Laurel nodded. In her eyes were sadness and the look of someone who was lost. I didn't know Jay's story, but I knew she, like me, must be searching for a new beginning. I'm leading a small group to Galesmore, I said, hesitantly at first. But my confidence soon grew. It's a wonderful kingdom, the perfect place for a fresh start, if that's what you're looking for. You both can join us if you'd like. Perhaps. Laurel's eyes found mine again, with a hint of interest in them. Galesmore, Jay echoed, his stare far off. It is a good kingdom. Why don't you come and meet the others? Then you can decide. I'd show them what our group had to offer, what I had to offer. It wasn't much, but if Laurel would allow me to help her get somewhere safe, perhaps the guilt curled deep in my chest would subside. Our camp isn't far. All right, she said softly while Jay nodded. Follow me. I waved an arm and began walking. They fell into step beside me. I glanced at Laurel as we made our way through the thicket, the sound of our footsteps keeping time together oddly comforting. I longed to ask her so many questions, mainly how she was holding up after all she'd been through, but I couldn't without revealing myself. I wondered about the man she traveled with. If not for her association, I would have been far warier of him. What was their connection? Although she had made no mention of a brother, I found myself hoping that was who he was. "'What do you do, Gavin?' Jay asked, his voice laced with a hint of suspicion. What made you want to travel through Eternity Forest like this? As I said, I'm a hunter and an explorer. It wasn't a lie, for it was how I knew myself now. When I learned of the suffering being afflicted upon the people of Tover, I realized I could help those seeking freedom and a better life by using my skills to assist them on their journey. That's very noble of you, Laurel said. I shrugged, her praise feeling misplaced. Any nobleness I possessed had come at a price. My bravest, most selfless actions had been born out of my weakest and most passive. I should have left Abrax's service the night he ordered the death of two innocent women. Malone had. I hadn't seen him since our last conversation while we buried Avi's body. I prayed he and his wife had escaped Tover, before Abrax discovered he deserted, good man, Jay said under his breath, and despite his earlier distrust for me, I could tell he meant it. His voice softened when he spoke again, "I'm not sure if you need it, but I may be able to assist you. I used to explore these woods myself, and I can help you choose the safest route to Galesmore. It was an offer too good to pass up, although I knew parts of Eternity Forest. The farther we got from Tover, the less familiar I was with the land, and the more dangerous the forest became. Well, Jay? Laurel? I paused as I looked at each of them. It appears we may be able to help each other after all. Chapter 8. Gavin That evening, I left my tent after a long conversation with Jay and sat in front of the dying fire to begin my night watch over the camp. Laurel was the only one still awake. She sat a few feet away, sorting leaves and flowers from a satchel upon her lap. Did Jay tell you his story? Laurel asked, without looking up from her task. He did. And what do you think of it? I'm not quite sure. I ran a hand across my bristly jaw, but I'm glad he told me the truth. I've known quite a few dishonest men in my life, and he doesn't strike me as one of them. She nodded. It wasn't long ago I found him in the woods, injured and alone. I didn't know what to make of him, but he needed my help, so I gave it. Since then, he's been nothing but forthright. I may not have all the answers to who he is, but I trust him. I pondered her words, feeling more at ease with my decision to trust the man, too. If Laurel was vouching for him, I saw no reason not to. Are the two of you... I chose my next word carefully involved? No, she laughed, clearly understanding my meaning. Heaven help the woman who steals his heart. I fear he'll be far too stubborn to even realize it and will put them both through turmoil. I laughed, too, my heart suddenly lighter. Crickets chirped a lazy tune, one of my favorite forest sounds, and I stretched my long legs in front of me, content in the early summertime melody. While Jay had been candid about his troubled past, I knew the woman beside me wouldn't be so willing to talk about hers. What are you doing with all those plants you've gathered? I turned to Laurel, mesmerized by her graceful fingers, as she pulled leaves, flowers, and seeds from various plants and discarded the rest. A soft smile lined her otherwise guarded face. I use them to make medicine and balms. Many of the plants in Eternity Forest have healing properties, if you know the right way to use them. That's interesting. Is that how you helped Jay? She nodded. How did you learn to do that? My sister. Her voice caught slightly, but there was a hint of pride. I held my breath, wondering if the memories were too painful for her to go on. But to my surprise, she continued. My sister knew so much about the forest. The villagers in our town used to say she was the queen of the wood sprites, that the forest fairies had shared the gift of healing with her. I smiled. So does that make you the princess of the wood sprites? I'm no princess. Her words were firm, almost bitter, as all humor died from her lips. Perhaps another title would suit you better. I regarded her, hoping I could bring that momentary ease back to her heart. What about the charm of the wood sprites? it seemed like a fitting description. With her amber eyes alight and her lithe form peeking out from the folds of my cloak, she resembled a wood sprite herself. She laughed, a bright, tinkling sound that stirred my heart, the same way it had stirred when her lips danced across mine that evening outside the ball. I can't say I've ever been called charming before, she said, but maybe the fairies are more generous with their titles. I'm certain they would approve. I crossed my arms in front of my chest, satisfied to remain here all night and listen to her laugh if she would continue to grace me with it, especially since they bestowed their gift of healing upon you. She laughed again, a sound more melodious than all the crickets in Eternity Forest. At that moment, I could almost imagine there were wood sprites about, flitting past the leaves and peering out from hollow trees as they gave us their blessing. Perhaps, in time, we would both find healing.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Saving Vengeance by Cece Louise, narrated by Corinne Norton and by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. If you want to read more by Cece, go to cecelouise.com to find more of her books. You can snag your own free copy of today's story when you sign up for her newsletter, and I'll have the direct link for that in the show notes. Don't forget about this month's giveaway, which includes a paperback copy of Desperate Forest by Cece Louise, which continues with the story of Princess Rosalind. Go to FindingFantasyReads.com slash giveaway to enter. If you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. If you haven't already signed up for the Finding Fantasy Reads newsletter, you'll want to get in on that. Each week, you get an email letting you know what episode has been added, but I also include links to deals on audiobooks, new releases and freebies from our featured authors, as well as anything else that I think might interest someone who enjoys fantasy audiobooks and short stories. As always, I will have links for all of those sites in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.